The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well. Or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and I'm here with my co-host, Spencer Jake. We're here to discuss one of our favorite times of year, March Madness. It's great It's great to be back on the air. Um, very thankful to have you guys listening into the show, and uh, let's get to it. Well, it started off, to use your analogy, we started off with a few birdies on Thursday, and then we double bogeyed our way in on Friday as the chalk seemed to take preference in the NCAA initial rounds. Yeah, what I mean by that is is on Thursday we had Iowa State, which was a prohibited favorite by by many college basketball analysts, and Fred Hoiberg's system with George Niang, McKay, Naz Long. They just have great guard play, and then they have Niang. That's kind of like a, a he's like a four man that that could pass like a point guard. So you follow Fred Hoiberg's offense with how successful they were, especially in the Big Twelve tournament that they would be very successful in the west region or in the south region and you thought that they would get past uab or smu or ucla and at least make a run at duke and gonzaga in the sweet 16 and elite eight but it was just a stunner that the uab blazers a team that finished fourth in conference usa kind of had an up and down year they were able to stun what was pot what was probably the most efficient offensive team in the whole tournament so that that was a clear shock and that was the first game on thursday and then you had georgia state beating baylor and this game wasn't it's not like Baylor is like an Iowa State in terms of their offense. I mean, even though they had a successful year in the Big 12, I still think they're younger and inco- more inconsistent than they were last year. But Georgia State was down 10 in this game, and Baylor just lost the game. Um, but the climax, um, the, the climax of the shot by R.J. Hunter... Um, the coach's son for Georgia State hit a three-pointer from way outside um, before the buzzer sounded for Georgia State to win the game. It was kind of like a Hollywood moment because coach Ron Hunter then fell off his stool because he tore his ACL in celebrating a previous tournament win before the NCAA tournament. So you had Georgia State and you had UAB beating three seeds, so you thought this tournament was just going to be totally nuts. And then things evened out, Bruce. One of the most entertaining parts of the the initial rounds was coach Ron Hunter. He himself is a human highlight reel. Firstly, Terry is Achilles heel. And then, as one of the tweets said, he had the best time in history falling off an office chair. <laughs> then, coming back, he had this, this mobile chair where the whole base of it was taped up. It looks like a caveman taped it up. And he was constantly in motion on this chair. And they even, it even prompted a, a new Twitter, Twitter handle, try to say that, which was called uh, Ron Hunter's chair, and you just you were watching the game, and you saw this guy on this on this mobile chair just peeking around corners, and certainly was extremely entertaining having 
little to do with the game itself. It was very funny as you were looking at the game and you saw him wheeling around and and kind of like moving because a lot of coaches move their body on defense to try to motivate their team and Ron Hunter was sliding in his chair kind of like his team was defensive sliding um, trying to stop the opponent. So uh, I just thought that that was one of the best stories of the tournament. He's a very emotional guy, but he's also a very deep person. I mean, he admitted that the time he had with his son is something he'll never forget and that really humanized Ron Hunter and the Georgia State Panthers, but it was such a feel-good story as well. Looking at the tournament, I mean, Friday we had, I think we only had one upset, and that was Dayton over Providence. So, so Bruce, watching Friday's games, are you a little bit disappointed with the lack of upsets? And as a tournament observer, what are you looking for in the NCAA tournament? Some brackets, some good games in the Sweet 16, or are you looking for upsets and 14 seeds advancing, um, you know, and taking it as far as they can the Sweet 16 the second weekend? Well, I'd like for I, I like two things. Firstly, I I tend to root for an underdog, particularly if I don't have a particular rooting interest in a game. But also, I really like close games that go down to the wire. I love overtime games. I think that when you're asking me about Friday, we need to visit or revisit a really exciting finish on Thursday. One that has potential implications for a rule change. You'll recall that Bryce Alford had a career game. He had actually... um, I think it was nine three-point shots in that game. However, the ninth one was the most controversial. He had a shot that at the end of the game was not going to reach the rim. It was basically an air ball. And one of the SMU Mustangs literally caught the ball and the referee called it a goaltending. And that was a three-point shot that gave them the lead. And There's a lot of controversy about this. Firstly, whether Larry Brown, the coach of SMU, should have called a timeout and perhaps argued the call to some degree where they may have huddled up and may have reversed the call. But he didn't. He opted to play on, not use any of his four timeouts, and ultimately the game ended and and the Mustangs lost. Yeah, it's just a really disappointing way for SMU to leave the tournament. Um, even though in the last couple of minutes they really struggled to to put UCLA away, but you never want to see a game come down the one call and have the officials kind of decide the outcome of a game like they did. And I definitely thought the shot was short. I didn't think it was going in either. I mean, by the letter of the law, if you interfere with a ball going up you shouldn't be able to catch it but this shot was clearly short of the rim and if they didn't catch the ball they would be subjected to possibly giving UCLA an offensive rebound which could then be a mistake so I thought grabbing the ball was actually the right play in this situation so basically SMU got a little bit of poor fortune but you really can't blame one play on the outcome it, you I, I i am a firm believer in that you have 40 minutes to beat a team and you got to decisively beat them and smu hat was up six with one minute to go and and they definitely gave away that game with turnovers and other things but i i do think it was the wrong call when you look at it i didn't think it had any chance of going in either um looking at the tournament now a great storyline, I guess one of the better storylines is the Wichita State Shockers winning the Battle of Kansas yesterday in the Century Link Center in Omaha. What were your impressions of this basketball game and and talk about what this mean this win means for the Wichita State basketball program? Well, it's no secret that our show has over the years emphasized Missouri Valley basketball. And going way back to Ali Farokmanish and some of the the Cook brothers and the uh, some of the obscure players that we have uh, worshipped, for lack of a better word, the fact that Ben Jacobson brought them out of the ashes, which was last season, where they virtually played no defense, and took them to the Missouri Valley Conference title 
beating a good Illinois State team down by 18. Certainly, uh, we've been watching the Valley. But Wichita State stood tall. And two of the great players there, Fred Van Leet and Ron Baker, number 31, just played like men. And Kansas, uh, you know, as they have been over the last three to five years, have been inconsistent and have often lost and been real flat in the tournament. This was no exception. And Wichita State, you know, had, had a bit of a lead in the first half. In the second half, pulled away. And it always had perhaps a 10 to 14 point spread. And at the end, led going away. And watching the celebration at the end was extremely exciting in that the governor of Kansas put a shirt on that said that Wichita State was victorious and won the battle of the state. And the players, certainly Ron Baker, was celebrating like like a five-year-old school child. And the coach, normally a stone-faced guy, seemed to be happier than I've ever seen him. So watching Wichita State, seeing how they were uh, undefeated during the regular season last year, losing sadly in the playoffs, and now with their hopes very much alive, that was one of the highlights of the tournament for me. Certainly, because you looked at the Battle of Kansas and you look at the Jayhawks, they've been avoiding Wichita State because they, they, they act like they're the bigger brother of Kansas and they're in, the, they're in the Big 12 Conference and they shouldn't play Missouri Valley School. I do understand from Kansas's standpoint, they have nothing to gain by playing Wichita. Wichita has everything to gain by beating Kansas. And if I was Kansas, I definitely would be scared of playing Wichita. And yesterday was validation of why they've been afraid of playing them because Greg Marshall's got a heck of a basketball team and usually Kansas does too you got to give Bill Self a ton of credit I mean just 11 Big 12 titles is, is an unbelievable accomplishment final fours and championships the bottom line though is that Kansas was able to was not able to get consistent play from the guards yesterday and we'll talk more about this game and other great NCAA tournament games when we come back from our break Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds back. Bart. They need a bitch's ass and then move on. I just, and get I just ready think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'll be your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger. And... I'm a neurologist right here in the tri-state area. If you're within the sound of our voice, that is also driving distance, you can reach us simply at 610-521-6063. That is 610-521-6063. You want to thank our production team back at the Valley of the Sun, 
our sports director, Ray Ellis, and our president, Jeff Spinard, for this great opportunity. Let's get right into second round action. We have the Villanova Wildcats laying an egg against NC State. Yeah, I mean, it, it just was a poor performance by Villanova, especially after the season they had. You had to feel for Jay Wright in this team. But looking at NC State, I think that they provided a tough matchup because of of Cat. Because of Cat Parker is his name? Barber. Barber. I thought it was Parker or Barber, but anyway, NC State is just so athletic all over the floor, and Villanova only has one guy down low in Daniel Ochefu. That's one of the only players that can really do damage in the paint, so Villanova relies on the three-point shot. Usually, they have stingy defense, and usually, they're able to shut down teams, but NC State is just so athletic that they were beating them off the dribble, and inside, they were they just overwhelmed Villanova in the paint, and Villanova, instead of dribbling, driving instead of getting fouls they just shot way too many perimeter jump shots and in the Big East Conference there isn't many teams that have the athleticism of the NC State Wolfpack and for NC State it was just about putting together the team Um, I'm sure that chemistry wise or maybe in terms of execution wise on offense NC State needed work but they were able to pull off a great comeback versus LSU in round one and they took that momentum and kind of were playing with house money because LSU had them down 14 with 10 minutes left in round one and then NC State was able to win on a hook shot at the buzzer so then they were able to play with just house money in the second round just being fortunate to be there while Villanova had everything to lose and and NC State was a very loose team they made great plays down the stretch as I mentioned Cat Barber inside and NC State definitely has some horses that can compete at the next round. So you look at Villanova losing, but then another game that definitely stood out as an interesting storyline in the East region is the Virginia Cavaliers and their result to the Michigan State Spartans. And Bruce, what did you see from Tom Izzo and Michigan State? And kind of describe the lore of Tom Izzo and the legend he is in March. Well, he has... A record of 13-1 of getting into the Sweet 16 when he is, you know, in the round beforehand. And I, I see that he's just a great game day coach. And I contrast his style with the style of what I saw with Roy Williams, where Roy doesn't really selectively use his timeouts very much. He is more of a, a watch you know, he, he's almost like a uh, game day manager in that he, he um, I normally say he lets his coordinators run the team. Unfortunately, in college basketball, there are no coordinators, so he more or less sits there. And and I also thought Jay Wright, during his game, I was waiting for him to change something up, to start a press, change a defense, substitute personnel. Darren Hilliard was uh, the only uh, unifying player who, who really had a great game everybody else was ice cold I didn't see a lot of creativity or timeouts so in looking at it I'm really I would contrast you know obviously two good coaches Jay Wright and Roy Williams is a Hall of Famer but watching the actual coaching with Tom Izzo the um, Michigan State is very aggressive they really share the ball they have good spacing and and I, I think Izzo is just a spectacular game day coach right along with Krzyzewski. And so, yeah, that would be my answer to your question. Right. I just think that the styles of play are so important because Michigan State, they they can play in the half court or they can play in transition. And they really sped Virginia up and really made them play to their tempo and and what Virginia is poor at. And that's what great coaches do. Travis Trice on the break um, and Bryn were able to really push the tempo for Michigan State. And then, and then if when you look at Michigan State's front line, I mean, Brandon Dawson and, and Denzel Valentine are just two of the best athletes in the Big Ten Conference, especially you look at Brandon Dawson. And, and Valentine, again, just such a veteran-laden team, not maybe – the most talented group of Michigan State players. You look at Keith Appling, Gary Harris, and recent memory, Adrian Payne last year. 
But when you look at this team with Matt Costello, they're just a very tough group, and it just seems that they have a winning attitude about them, and Tom Izzo is able to really extend confidence in his group. But when you look at teams that fell in in round two, it just was an inability to adapt to styles. And when you look at the best teams in the nation, you know, Duke, Arizona, Arizona was forced to go to a, uh, Ohio State played Arizona in zone, and Gabe York was able to hit threes on them because Arizona has a great front line and Ohio State had to go to zone. But Arizona was able to adapt. Wisconsin can play fast, but they can also play a great half-court offense. And the teams that are able to adapt, like Kentucky, like Duke, that have multiple weapons, are able to advance. And you look at Villanova, they just couldn't defend as well as they wanted to. And Archie Diacono and Ennis, they couldn't really get inside of the painted area. They just didn't have the athletic ability, which reminds me of another question and point that I want to emphasize in the segment is talk about how the athletes in college basketball can really determine a game. And when you're watching these games, do you think that athletically it could sometimes, um, be more important or valuable than scheme because you watched Louisville and Northern Iowa, another Valley team, and Northern Iowa seemed to be outmatched physically and athletically by the Louisville Cardinals, even though Louisville was known as a very poor offensive team this year. I think that Louisville uh, with Rozier and Harrell, two of those guys on that team, had spectacular games. Rozier is um looks to me to be nba ready a great guard only a sophomore just developed he just was slashing through the uni offense and he showed the ability it's great crossovers he broke a lot of ankles out there and with the panthers slashing floating and also the ability to hit a mid-range jumper and seemed like he didn't miss any free throws Harrell is an intimidating force down on the boards. Uh, Louisville just got a million offensive rebounds, and they totally neutralized. They, they they really played out. They they knew that you and I was one of the leaders in three point shooters. Matt Bohannon, uh, who is their their ace three point shooter, had the misfortune of dislocating a non shooting index finger the day before and had a pretty. Um, nice looking um, wrap on his hand he did he didn't even take that many shots I think he hit two three pointers <clears throat> he was totally neutralized Seth Tuttle who is certainly the, um, the the player of the year in the Missouri Valley just looked slow he, he was his one-on-one low post maneuvers in the beginning he had he had one nice spin move but beyond that totally neutralized and and just was athletically dwarfed by Louisville. Right, looking at Northern Iowa, I thought they should have put Wes Waspin on Rozier the whole game, and Northern Iowa just had an inability to speed the game, or an inability to run on the fast break and get easy points, and again, Northern Iowa has to beat you in the half court, and when other teams could score on them, it's very hard for them to get back in the game, and they struggle a lot with length. But one of the best games of the tournament that I want to analyze is, we talked about how Friday was a very mediocre day, because you want to see some upsets, you want to see some excitement. You don't want to see just all chalk. You want to see some teams like Valparaiso or UC Irvine that were involved in close games. You want to see them get it done. And and something that's disheartening as a college basketball observer is when you watch these games and you watch these these Cinderella teams, these high these double digit seeds take the lower seeds or take the higher seeds um, to the wire and they can't win. It's sort of it's not like you wasted your time, but you're left unfulfilled. And that's what Friday was. And then Saturday as well, you had UAB and Georgia State with an inability to really get over the hump in the second half, and you wanted to see a you wanted to see a double digit seed in the tournament. But one of the games that was just so pleasing to watch was Notre Dame and Butler, and this is a game where Butler tried to match Notre Dame um, with physicality and, and really slowing the game down the half court. And I do enjoy 
a real nice half-court affair where each possession is just so dramatic and a game that just goes down the stretch and just teams exchanging power blows. And that's what happened. Uh, You had Notre Dame and Butler going into overtime because of the heroics of of Connaughton of Notre Dame. Uh, his first name is do you know Pat Patrick Connington, uh, who's actually a baseball pitcher. He made a tremendous block on Kellen Dunham, who has one of the quickest releases in all of college basketball. He jumped across the court to the baseline to stuff Dunham and to get the Irish to overtime. And Alex Barlow, Roosevelt Jones of Butler. It's just hard not to like these guys of Butler because they play like really a slow old man's game that and one that's just so pleasing again to watch. So Notre Dame was able to defeat Butler in overtime, but they had clutch free throws one and one, half court offense. And and when a game doesn't have all fast breaks in the final moments and it's a game going wide to wire in the half court it's just so intense to watch and it definitely differed in its value I believe than the other games can you elaborate quickly on your experience watching these two great teams from the state of Indiana well I'd like to answer that question and I have a lot to say about that game we're right up against the break stay with us we'll be back in three minutes internet flagship station for sports voice america sports dr bruce grossinger is a board certified neurologist and managing partner of grossinger neuropain specialist serving the philadelphia and wilmington delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine pain management interventional spinal surgeries and occupational medicine dr bruce is the director of the national sports concussion program and works as a senior medical advisor for the national high school coaches association we're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries this involves education of athletes parents trainers coaches and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds back. Bart. They need a bitch's ass and then move oh, on. I just, and get I just ready think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Bruce the Sports Doc. Notre Dame Butler was truly an epic game for the ages. The game went into overtime. Pat Connaughton had an epic block. Literally, as time was running out, if he would have fouled the Butler player with even a slap on the wrist or a body shot or anything, he could have been the goat of the game. But literally, as he was flying out of bounds, blocked the ball perfectly, and cemented himself as the hero of the game, and further, in the overtime period, hit two great shots, particularly one along baseline three, and showed his leadership. And his team was a little bit rattled near the end of regulation. A player was coming up the court and double dribbled the ball, and the, the, the other player was, was rattled, and he put his arm around the player and said, don't worry, forget about it, look ahead. And... Notre Dame had a lot of momentum winning the ACC tournament, having to beat Duke and UNC in successive games. Certainly 
was extremely impressive. But Butler is is a is a quintessential tournament team, and they just wouldn't wouldn't die. And it was a game that you hated to see end because both teams um, could have won the game, and it, Notre Dame just eked out a victory. Yeah, Butler just has such a winning culture about them, and that's just so important when you analyze these teams. You look at Michigan State and Wisconsin, and you just look at these teams, even Louisville with Rick Pitino, these teams are just able to play loose or they're just able to to win games based on their confident value and their coach has been there before and these players know the expectation level but at Butler they really slowed the game down they had an excellent game plan and, and they just it's unbelievable you look at Butler and the and the talent or athleticism that the team has and it's nowhere close to Notre Dame's or even Texas for that matter, but it's unbelievable how Butler just has the mental fortitude to hit tough shots um, in the clutch moments of the game and how their coach is able to really put a stamp on the way that the team is coached and it's just such a tightly run ship. It's just fun to watch players like that, just the true college basketball team and experience. But as we are now in the round of 32, UCLA is the is the worst seeded team that is left in the field. They're an 11th seed, and it's funny because you don't consider UCLA a Cinderella team. They're going up against Gonzaga, and let's talk about the South region first. We have Duke and Utah, and then we have Arizona, or not? Excuse me, not Arizona. We have Gonzaga. Um, versus UCLA. What do you see happening in this region with Duke and Gonzaga and UCLA and Utah remaining in the South? Who do you see coming out? I'm going to predict. I'm going to predict that Duke will win against Gonzaga. I really like the way they played their last game. Okafor was a complete beast. Shashevsky uh, coached a beautiful game, and they essentially. One going away, I think they're uh, they're very fresh. They have a lot in the tank. Gonzaga is a team that seems like they always do well in the tournament, but they've actually never reached the Final Four. So that's an interesting statistic. So you're up against the statistics there. And with respect to the other game, that was Utah and Duke. The first game was Gonzaga. UCLA and Gonzaga. Okay. Well. All right. Well. We're going to say Duke will win the first game. But with respect to UCLA, extremely impressive. The guy Parker was a name you mentioned earlier. Guy Tony Parker, who shares the same name with the Frenchman from the San Antonio Spurs, but somewhat different in, in build and game. Um, UCLA has, has Bryce Alford, the coach's son, and really is coming into his own as as a really good point guard. Had five assists in the game. And w- w- was a, a great score, really um, moving the ball around. So I, I think UCLA's got a lot of momentum. And they're one team that was, it was certainly controversial as a bubble team, whether they should even get into the tournament. Certainly some of our local Temple Owl fans believe otherwise. But at least they certainly make the committee look good by moving into the uh, the Sweet 16 and going into the essentially with the final four in the regions. So they're, they're my choices. What are your spets for that region? Well, I think Gonzaga's really gone under the radar. They had they, they defeated Iowa and North Dakota State fairly easily. Uh, they have Kevin Pangos, who, who's who's one of the best point guards left in the field, and then and then uh, Kyle Wilcher from Kentucky, who's a transfer, who was the Mountain, who was the uh, West Coast uh, Western Athletic Conference Player of the Year from Kentucky, uh, is just having a tremendous season. So I look for Gonzaga to easily handle UCLA because down low, I thought UCLA had an advantage against UAB with Parker, but I definitely think that Gonzaga's bigs. Can, can neutralize UCLA's. So that's a game that I, 
I'm not as confident in. I like Duke to defeat Utah. I like Duke to advance from that region. They're just playing way too well right now. Way too many offensive weapons. Justice Winslow, Tyus Jones, Quinn Cook. They can all hit three-pointers. Even Grayson Allen's come into the game and contributed. And then Jaleel Okafor, I think the best prospect in this entire tournament. So Duke is on fire right now playing great defense. I clearly see them advancing. I'm going to now preview my next pick because the fans kind of got your selection last time. I kind of want to be the first one in with this pick. We're going to head out to the West region. I think that this is the most compelling region because I think the Elite Eight game will be a classic just like last year's. The rematch of Sean Miller versus Bo Ryan. I see Arizona and Wisconsin winning. I see Arizona easily handling Xavier. I see Wisconsin beating North Carolina, which should be a great game because Roy Williams and Marcus Page and that bunch will want to speed up the game. I'm so interested to see the style. I expect Wisconsin to play low possession basketball, hold the ball. I expect North Carolina to have a lot of trouble. We'll see what, we'll see what Roy can do to adjust, but I actually see Arizona beating Wisconsin and kind of of a classic Elite Eight battle because I think Arizona is just so I think that they're probably the second best team in the tournament because they've just looked so great um, in their first two matchups. Stanley Johnson, Brandon Ashley just such an athletic team. I think they're overwhelmed Wisconsin that even looked a little shaky versus Oregon. Bruce, West Region, go. Well, I'd like to come up with a very different and unique view of things but I really am not. This this will be brief. I think Arizona looks like the class of that region. Wisconsin, a little slow, not quite as athletic. I don't think they're going to uh, to make it in the second half. I think Arizona's going to pull away. It's going to stay close in the first half. And Arizona's going to go to the Final Four. Now you have a team... We're going to now take it where it's you have Notre Dame and Wichita. That's I think that that's the best Sweet 16 matchup because I love both of these teams. Pat Connington, Steve Asorius, so many leaders of Notre Dame. They're just such an enjoyable team, and we love Wichita here with Ron Baker and Fred Van Leet. I see Wichita beating the, uh, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, and then I also see... Kentucky advancing to the Elite Eight in a battle of Wichita versus Kentucky. It would be so ironic and so beautiful if Wichita is able to do what Kentucky did to them last year when when Wichita was undefeated, Kentucky beat them as an eight seed, and if Wichita is able to beat Kentucky as a seven seed, that would surely be something. Well, I I think it's it's a, it's a hard game. It's a pick 'em game between Notre Dame and Wichita State. have to admit, the fondness I have for Wichita and the, the history we have, I, I, I will be pulling for them to win that game. And if they win, it would um, make us very happy here. There's no doubt trying to be objective. And I, I think that, um, unlike you, I, I, I don't think that Wichita could beat Kentucky. I think Cotton will get into some foul trouble I think that they um, will will be Van Leet certainly will be neutralized by the guards of Kentucky that the Harrison brothers and that there's just too much size and too much speed on Kentucky and I I just don't think Kentucky is a great matchup for Wichita State so I'm pick I'm picking Kentucky to uh, to get to the Final Four in that region. So far, we have ones and twos. This is really the only interesting region, not not in terms of watching, of course, but in terms of a lower seed advancing or an unexpected seed because you have Virginia and you have Villanova out of the East region. I like NC State. And Michigan State playing for the title. It's just it's just really hard to go against Tom Izzo in this spot. I see Michigan State, and that's kind of a fun one, a seventh seed. Uh, I wish there was more upsets in this tournament. You can't control uh, the, the way the tournament goes uh, as UCLA, again, is the last Cinderella. But the East region should be a lot of fun. Um, so some interesting storylines here with some teams that were not expected to be in this spot. We've reached the end of the third segment. In the next segment, we're going to talk about sports medicine, 
a very interesting story splashing across the wire where a 24-year-old star linebacker abruptly retires from the sport of football. Stay right there. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds back. Bart. They need a bitch's ass and then move oh, on. I just, and get I just ready think that the coach made a mistake. Oh, crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. Today we're going to cover... The dreaded Achilles rupture. Following the last out of Game 5 of the National League playoff series between the Cardinals and Phillies, Ryan Howard collapsed in agony. He suffered a full rupture of his left Achilles tendon. This is one of the most devastating injuries in sports in that it requires one of the longest rehab periods. We're going to cover why that is. Firstly, the anatomy. The Achilles tendon is the thickest and strongest tendon in the human body. It connects the calf muscle, which is called the gastrocnemius, down to the heel bone, which is called the calcaneus. Depending on speed, stride, and weight, The Achilles tendon is strong enough to withstand up to 12 times a person's body weight during a sprint or push-off. So how is it that this tendon is injured? It's usually a ballistic load, either by accelerating or changing positions or cutting. In this case, Ryan Howard was sprinting out of the batter's box. And... He tore his left Achilles. The feeling he got was similar to the feeling that your host, that would be me, got in 1997 during a weekend warrior basketball game at the Springfield Healthplex. It felt like somebody struck me in the back of my left heel with a two by four. I looked around to see who the perpetrator was, and nobody was there. That is... When I tore my Achilles following a cut in a basketball game, there was a full rupture. And Ryan Howard had a similar commentary after his tear. He felt, and his perception was, that he was struck with his own bat, and that's what caused the Achilles tear, because that's exactly what it feels like. The Achilles tendon was named after the ancient Greek hero of the Trojan War, Achilles. That is... This small part of his body, known as the Achilles tendon, was his tragic flaw. He was killed 
by an arrow shot into his heel. So that's how we call this, why we call this an Achilles tendon. Before we talk about treatment, let's talk about prevention. Correct footwear, very, very important. Particularly with high-arched shoes in the games of basketball and tennis. And also proper sports taping in order to allow for extra protection or padding for the Achilles tendon is very important. There are certain things called anti-pronation or motion shoes. And also certain orthotics could be helpful in preventing Achilles injuries. Also proper warm-up and stretching before sports activities is imperative in order to protect one from this injury. However, there's no absolute protection. We can look back at Atlanta Hawks Hall of Famer Dominique Wilkins actually tore both Achilles at different times. The first part of treatment of an Achilles is proper diagnosis. Firstly, there's a McMurray's test where there's actually, you palpate, and if there is a full rupture, there will actually be a discontinuity in the Achilles tendon, which is very easy to note. And uh, I certainly recall that with my own Achilles tear. Uh, normally, there's a fibrous cord, and instead, there's just a space there. There's also a complete lack of the ability to, uh, to use that muscle, which is to plant our flex or move the foot in a downward position. So basically, you know, lose your ability to plant our flex. You basically are rendered unable to stand or walk. The acute, the acute treatment is anti-inflammatory medications and ice, and then surgery, usually within a few hours to a few days. I went to surgery within 24 hours of my tear. The surgery is, uh, is not that complicated. Basically, the surgeon goes and retrieves the upper portion of the heel cord, sometimes up as high as the calf muscle, and then basically um, plantar flexes the foot, that is, brings the foot down completely to uh, connect or reanastomose the two parts of the Achilles. So there's a very firm suture and closure, and then the foot is, cla- is casted in a downward direction and plantar flexion. Over the next few weeks, there are a series of casts that are placed and removed, and the patient graduates to a walking boot, which is also called a donjoy, D-O-N-J-O-Y boot. This is the same company that makes the uh, donjoy knee brace, which was made famous by uh, Dan Marino, who wore that heavy knee brace uh, throughout the latter part of his playing career. The MRI can be utilized as a confirmatory test for an Achilles tendon rupture, though the tear is confirmed physically by simply squeezing the calf muscles and the foot doesn't move. You can't palpate the tendon. It's a, torn, it's a torn Achilles. Operatively, the incision is three to four inches behind the ankle. The risk of the operation to repair of an Achilles are similar to any time there's an operation. That is, infection, scarring, bleeding, poor wound healing. It's unusual for there to be a re-tear or re-rupture of the Achilles tendon, but it is certainly a possibility. In the old days, some cases were treated non-operatively, that is for partial tears. However, the risks of the non-operation include a higher risk of re-rupture and possible loss of strength with pushing off of activity. So for a professional athlete, the treatment is almost always surgical. Why is the recovery time so slow? Up to six months. The reason is because the Achilles tendon has a very poor blood supply. And therefore, the healing process is painfully slow. Painfully slow, excuse me. Nothing to do with snow, of course. So, essentially, 
throughout this process. It's very painful. The Donjoy boot is a laced up, it's actually a Velcroed up uh, boot, which is worn up to the knee. It can be used to assist patients in walking while they recover and while the Achilles slowly heals. A very important part of rehab is to restore range of motion. Gradually try to restore the range of motion with respect to lifting the foot up or dorsiflexion because that's what stretches out the Achilles. So if there is a, uh, a tight Achilles, if there is a contracture, there may be loss of bringing the toe up, which is called dorsiflexion or toe extension. So the rehab has to be a very uh, has to be on a daily basis and involves strengthening the calf. When the patient comes out of the cast, as I recall, the calf muscle is gone, and it has to be completely rehabilitated. With respect to Ryan Howard. He completed the Achilles tendon surgery, which went well, and he's now in the period of casting. The goal is to get it back early next season, but there's certainly no guarantees. Well, he will have the benefit of the best team of physical therapists and rehab doctors. There is an individual variability in the healing process. And when you have a very large, powerful athlete, uh, obviously the recovery is, is, is painful, as is the rehabilitation. So let's summarize the Achilles. It's a tendon that connects the calf to the foot. It's extremely strong. It can hold up to ballistic forces of 12 times the body weight. However, during push-off, or ballistic movements, the athlete can partially or completely tear the Achilles. The diagnosis is easily confirmed using physical testing, though the MRI is often used, as in the case of Ryan Howard. Early treatment, ice, elevation, anti-inflammatories, usually followed by corrective surgery, three to four inch incision, reanastomosis, that is connecting the Achilles tendon followed by progressive casting, and finally, a period of rehabilitation of six to eight months. And it will take up to 12 months for the athlete to return to full action, full running and cutting. The, the purpose of the rehab is to restore strength to the calf, flexibility and dexterity, and to restore range of motion in the foot and ankle structure. So this has been a summary of the sports medicine topic, Achilles tear pertaining to Philly's first baseman, Ryan Howard, and your humble host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, who share one thing in common, and that would be the full rupture of a left Achilles tendon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.